It's an honor and a privilege to share God's Word with you today. Just a couple of things, observations, if you will, before I get started. First of all, I enjoyed watching people coming into the sanctuary today. It was exciting to see people excited to be here. I noticed you came through the side door and you looked like you were uh, in heaven's realm right there, so thank you. The other observation is really before this week. And so as I was preparing for this lesson, I noticed typically Craig announces the week before that we're going to have a guest speaker. He didn't do that last week. And I think there is good reason for that. I think he's afraid that some of you might not show up this morning. So I thank you for doing that. The second observation is when you are the guest speaker for our minister, um, he gives you guidelines that you have to go by. And so as you're putting this together, and I said, well, Craig, what's typically, how long is your sermon? And he says, well, to give you an example, last week it was about 3,000 words. He says, where are you right now? And I said, I'm at 6,700 words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so if any of you have lunch reservations, I'm going to give you a few minutes to extend those. No, but those are the guidelines that he gives you. And so we were able to work through that. But I want to thank you for this opportunity to be here this morning and share God's word. And the, and the message here is the cross is enough. And so as we go through today's lesson, I want you to know we're going to talk about decision making. And no matter what decisions you've made in the past or whatever mistakes that you've made in the past, we know that we have a God who loves us and cares for us unconditionally and is large enough to overcome any of the mistakes we've made in our lives. I was reminded um, when I was looking at this photo that you'll see here in a few minutes of being a young boy. I grew up in Iowa, and so out kind of in the country. We weren't in a farm. Every home in our area had uh, acre land, but we were surrounded by farmland. And we had woods and creeks, and we had pig farmers, we had... Uh, we had uh, cattle farmers. We had a little bit of everything around us. But some of the best times of my life were, as a kid, we'd spend time in the creek playing. And so I was reminded of this picture. This is a creek called Two Oceans Pass, a mountain pass on the Continental Divide. The creek splits into two separate streams, as you notice there. One that goes to the left, called the Atlantic Creek, it actually travels 3,487 miles, joining up with the waters of the Mississippi and eventually winding up in the Atlantic Ocean. The creek to the right is called the Pacific Creek, undertakes a 1,353-mile trek into the Snake and Columbia Rivers, joining up with the Pacific Ocean. Named the Two Oceans Creek, it is the only creek in the United States that separates and goes into two separate parting waters, into two separate oceans. Two drops of water, two entirely different circumstances, destinations, but one small turning point that determines the outcome. Every day we make simple choices, ranging from what to wear or what to eat. We also make choices that are extremely important even life-changing, such as what career, career to pursue or who to marry. 
But the most important of all is to be a Christ follower. That is eternal consequences. Sometimes choices seem insignificant, but the decisions we make set in motion a series of events that shapes our lives forever. If you were to share how you came to know Jesus, I would guess many of you would choose to go somewhere where you met someone who started talking to you that led to the chain of events resulting in your salvation. What about a series of decisions that led to the meeting of your spouse? Now, my spouse this morning is in the nursery, but we met in high school. And so we took a science class that was an elective. Now, we came from a very large high school, over 500 people in every class. We had over 2,500 people in our high school, so I didn't know who she was. But we took an elective class, and here we are. This next year, we'll celebrate 40 years of marriage. And so, seemingly small choices that lead to eternal consequences. The opposite can also be true. A person decides to ride with a friend who has been drinking. That ends tragically in the loss of a life. Seemingly small choices that have life-changing consequences. The truth that every one of us makes choices and mistakes that affect other people. We are all capable of doing things, either unconsciously or consciously, that can bring harm to others. I know in my life, there are choices I've made both professionally and personally that I would do differently, right? That comes with age, that comes with experience. And that's why we need to look toward the people in the church, the elderly people in the church who have been before us because they've lived through some of those things. I am grateful that God that we serve can move mountains and is big enough to forgive any decision that I've ever made. There's one decision that I made in my life that really stands out and seemingly insignificant, and I don't know what the end result was. But back when we were first married, I was in the Air Force, and so we were at Davis Monthan Air Force Base, taught a, a coached a baseball team. We didn't have any kids, so I started coaching a baseball team with another person from the Air Force. And we had a young man on our team who quit. Now, this was 12 and under, so it was little league age. He quit, didn't really give us a reason, very good player, but decided to quit. Came back a week later and asked if he could rejoin the team. And so we decided that we would teach him a lesson and say, you know what, there's consequences to every decision. You let down your team, we didn't let him back in. To this day, I wonder what the repercussions of that decision was. You know, we have a God who is bigger than any decision that we make. When I think of decisions in the Bible, I think of the story of Lot and Abraham is a great example of what poor choices can be. If we look at our scripture verse this morning from Genesis 13, 5 through 18, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling, quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. It is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. 
If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw the whole, whole plain of Jordan toward Zor as well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. We all know what Sodom stood for. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you will see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents and he built an altar to the Lord. You know, consequences often result in internally significant choices often result in eternally significant consequences. Lot is about to make a decision that leads to really um, special consequences in his life. Both Lot and Abraham were considered godly men at this point. In Abram's day, sheep and cattle owners were, could obtain great wealth. These animals were a valuable commodity. They could be used for food, clothing, and sacrifices. They could be sold or traded for goods and services. Abram's lot and Lot's wealth was growing greatly at this time, and so the land was so large for them that they had to separate. If we look at verses 5 through 7, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living there at this time. Lot was Abraham's nephew. Facing a potential family feud, Abram took the initiative and came up with a way of, dis of settling their dispute. Abram had every right to go wherever he wanted. He was the older of the two. Abram was the leader of his family. But he was willing to resolve this conflict over the risk of being cheated, so he gave Lot the choice. Jesus also knows how important the unity of believers is. In his prayer for all believers, Jesus spoke these words in John 17 through 21. For all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Our mission here at Onalaska Church of Christ is to make more and better disciples can be jeopardized when our selfish desires become more important than our unity of believers. And that's what Lot was facing. Many a sermon on this story would talk about the temptations of the rich, but I want to focus on choices that we make in life. Abram put on display a generosity of his faith. In verses 8 and 9, Abram it says, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. 
If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. This whole idea of going their separate ways sounds pretty good idea, right? No more fighting, plenty of land to acquire more wealth. Everyone wins. Lot appears to make that decision without consulting God. Even today, many Christian families make that mistake. They make decisions without consulting God before they make a decision. Maybe it is deciding to move for a better job and more money, but never considering how the move will affect their family spiritually. Lot's ambition to create more wealth led to this infighting, which led eventually to the worst decision that he's ever made in his life. He made a major decision without consulting God. The question is, is it possible to gain the world and lose your soul? The answer to that is yes. We must make our choices based on God's word, not on the assumptions of our culture. Abram ultimately trusted Lot to make the right decision, right? One of the hardest things in life is giving over the authority to make a decision to someone else and then they making a different decision than you would. I talk about that a lot when I talk in terms of my job and representing people, and you give people that opportunity to have the authority to go do something, but they do it differently than you would. That's exactly what I think happened here. Abram gives us a wonderful example of a conflict resolution. He understood unity to be more important than having a division in his family. Lot did something that many Christians do without much thought. He made a major decision without consulting God. He based his decision on the values of the world. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Just as we need a flashlight to find our way through the darkness so that keeps us from stumbling, the psalmist describes God's word as a pathway to direct our lives so that we will not stumble and fall and go through life. We strive to walk like Jesus. We strive, but we are imperfect. The good news is that we can take with us today is that the power of the cross can overcome any stumbling that we have in life. Genesis 10 through 13 goes on to say, Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of Jordan towards Zor was well watered like the garden of the Lord like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Lot's character is really revealed here. He chose Sodom because he saw a lush valley and thought he would prosper there. Sin often looks attractive, doesn't it? We can rationalize, I can manage this, or I can do this for the good of God. Many times these thoughts and decisions can lead to sin and have everlasting consequences. Lot saw a land that was lot like, like Egypt. He chose Sodom because it was lush, fertile land, and he could prosper there. He never considered the people of Sodom and their sinning against the Lord. Abram gave Lot this choice. Decision by Lot would be celebrated by the world as a wise decision, right? This lush land, and I'm going to move my herds there, and I can prosper there. But the, the decision led to Lot's steady spiritual decline. We must seek God's 
guidance when we're making all decisions. This was just the first of a series of mistakes that Lot made, and we're not going to cover his whole life today. But Lot suffered because of this decision. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This world is not our eternal home, something Lot did not consider. When we make decisions, we should make our decisions based on eternal. Genesis 14 through 18 says this, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. All the land here I see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents and he built an altar to the Lord. Abram was obedient to his faith. He was not just passing through. His dwelling was not permanent. It was only temporary. Abram, a godly man bearing witness to the pagan world, built an altar for worship. Lot blended in at Sodom. Abram stood out as a man of God. Deuteronomy 5.33 says this, Walk in obedience with all the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. Why did Abram remain faithful to God and Lot fell away? Lot saw an easier road. He wanted a good life of Egypt. Lot never considered the influence of the people of Sodom would have on him and his family. We cannot escape living in a sinful world, but we can avoid falling into the same sinful trap. We must always have our guard up against Satan. Canaan was almost as bad as Sodom, but some people and places are extremely wicked, as verse 11 tells us. Lot's chose for himself. God has never was a part of the solution for Lot. He and his family paid an awful price. Abram had every right to choose whatever land he wanted and to give what was left over to Lot. He understood servant leadership and what that meant. He was the elder of the two and the leader of his clan. God had promised the land to Abram. What mattered to Abram was a relationship with Lot. Lot escaped Sodom with the clothes on his back and ended up living in a cave. We need to make choices that represent God's values over the values of the world. God's wisdom is far more valuable than silver, gold, livestock, or anything else the world has to offer. I like what Greg Laurie has to say about this. He says, if we are spending time reading God's word, if we are spending time praying, then it will change the things we want in life. In fact, we will find ourselves asking for what God For the things God wants, he wants rather than the things we merely want for ourselves. If you want to walk with God, then make the time for him every day. As Christians, it's a delicate balance of living, having the values of the world and godly values. If we have no contact with the world, we lose our witness to the world. 
so we need to be in the world. We must appear differently because we have the hope of eternity. Our hope is different. How do we stay out of Lot's trap? We focus on our fellowship with Christ. And how do we do that? We do that with other believers. Do not give Satan a stranglehold for your life. And that's what Lot did. Fellowship with believers, study God's word, both individually and as a group or corporately, through Sunday school, through Bible studies. Spend time in prayer. Always be in guard against Satan. Sin works gradually and then becomes acceptable, and the world gives it a name. They call it progress. We see that in the world today, and we need to focus on Jesus. One example, because I was thinking of what those examples would be as how sin has slowly gone, I would say TV would be one example. If you look at the TV shows that we used to watch, and at our house on every night, weekly night, my wife likes to watch the Dick Van Dyke show. So at 9 and 9.30, before we go to bed, she has the Dick Van Dyke show on. And so you watch those episodes, and then you watch primetime TV today. The language, nudity on primetime TV. Who would have ever thought of that when we were growing up, right? So choose faith over immediate gratification. The Bible gives us instruction on Christian living and making decisions. In our society, we like to see immediate results. Everything we do is immediate. Lot wanted what was easiest, since choices often result in eternally significant consequences we must align our choices with God's. God's word not only gives us life's instruction, but it also nurtures and sustains us in our life when we go through difficult times. Lot chose gratification over faith. He underestimated the consequences of his decision. He thought he could overcome the wickedness in Sodom. One of the biggest mistakes we make in life is forgetting how much our actions affect other people around us. Every day you are tempted to make a decision that may seem best for you, but could have a devastating result and affect the people around you. Lot did that, and it affected his family. He lost his wife and his daughters in the process. If you want to make wise decisions, you need to ask, will my choices harm other people? That is the opposite of our culture. Our society teaches us to think only of ourselves. But God wants you to think about others, not just yourselves. I love this quote by Rick Warren. Mature people limit their freedom for the benefits of others. Because you are afraid of what other people think? Of course not. You do, not, you do it out of love. In situations where there is no clear right or wrong, you have to ask yourself, how will my decision affect other people? Because of the high calling of being a Christian, of being a Christ follower, we should walk, we should live in a different way than the world around us. We should act differently, we should talk differently, and yes, maybe even look differently. Why does God give us this instruction? There is a tendency for Christians to display to the world that we really are not so different than anybody else. We often do so to gain respect and approval. That is what I call compromising our values. A Christian author once said this of trying to fit in, the trade isn't worth it. And I agree with them. Making wise choices begins by knowing God. 
Ephesians 4, 20 through 24 says this, that however, that however is not the way of the life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires, to be new in the attitude of your minds and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Putting off your old self. This is the same idea of putting off or putting on a new set of clothes. The idea is to change into a different kind of conduct. It's amazing. We have grandchildren as you start to uh, get ready for school and you take them out and get a new set of clothes and you see the looks on their faces. It does change their attitude. Think of a prisoner who is relief, released from prison but still wears his prison clothes and acts like a prisoner and not a free man. The first thing that you would tell that person is to go put on some new clothes. Putting on different clothes can change the way we think and how we see ourselves. When we start making changes, our attitudes change. And that's what, that's what God is talking about. Our Christian life must go beyond head knowledge. It should influence our whole manner of thinking. This is not just in the sense of knowing facts, but the ability to set our minds on the right things, just knowing Jesus is not enough. Even the demons believed. Charles Spurgeon said this, So if you want to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you must live with him. He must be the choice companion of your morning hours. He must be with you throughout the day and with, and with him must also close the night. And often as you may wake during the night, you must say, when I wake, I am still with thee. Living for Christ means 24-7, 365 days a year, not just a couple hours a day by ourselves when no one's watching. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone. The new is here. How we live and make decisions should look different than before we knew Christ. This sounds very simple, but actually very difficult. But this is what God expects of us. As we become a Christian, it becomes difficult sometimes to put away our old self. But God asks that of us. Galatians 1.10 says this, I am now trying to win the approval of human beings or God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We should always ask, is this going to glorify God before we make a decision, or is this going to please God? What I tell you, no matter whatever decisions you made or wherever you are in your life, I can tell you we have hope. Because we have the hope of the cross, and the cross is enough. Whatever mistakes or poor decisions we have made in the past, the cross is enough to overcome all of them. Whatever fears of our past memories have taunted us, the things that we've said or done, they were overcome when Christ went to the cross. I was one, once asked, what keeps you awake at night? I asked you that question, how would you answer that? What answer you may give, I want you to know that Christ who conquered death, will overcome anything life can throw at you. In fact, point number four here says, what we fear most is where we trust God the least. We like to be in control of our lives, don't we? 
It's very easy when I can just say, this is what Joe Ledvina wants to do. But we need to trust God when it comes to making decisions. Sometimes we may not like the decision or we might like, like the answer that God gives us, but we need to trust him. If Jesus went to the cross for eternal life, certainly he can trust him to make a decision in our working life. Alistair Begg says this, we can tell people that Christ will come into their hearts and live, but first they need to know how he has come into the world, lived, died, and rose again. Really, that's the message of the whole, the whole Bible, right? That God gave his only son to the world so that we can have the hope of eternal life. And he sent him to the cross on our behalf. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 and 19 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. While most people would agree that the world is broken, they may not agree on how to fix it. I choose not to watch much news anymore. When I watch the news, it's filled of sin and just de depressed when I end up watching it. And so I certainly don't watch it at night anymore, but I used to. For me, the most important thing in my life is to make more and better disciples. I've come to realize over the years it's not what I have or the wealth that I've acquired. It's the opportunity to share the gospel with others. And I fail many times in that. Alistair Begg says this, The only solution to solving the world's problems is found in the execution of the innocent man, Jesus, the Son of God. We must continue to proclaim the message of Christ's death on the cross both to ourselves and to others as it establishes the gravity of the human condition, reveals God's wonder and grace, and offers hope for all time. All of the gospel's blessings and benefits become ours as a result of what Jesus did on the cross, what he accomplished, his life, his death, and his resurrection. When we enter into an intimate relationship with God through the faith in his son, Jesus, he becomes our heart's desire. Knowing him, hearing his voice, sharing his heart with him, our hearts with him, and seeking to please him become all-consuming focus, or should he becomes everything to us. Meeting with him is not an activity reserved for Sunday morning. We live to serve him, to fellowship with him. The Lord never said that our lives here on earth would be easy. We are going to go through some difficult times, some hard times, as Craig mentioned earlier. But our time here on earth will be worth it if we serve Jesus. We are here to spread God's gospel and his love and his light to others. And that's why our mission here in Alaska Church of Christ is, is to make more and better disciples. We recognize that we are continually growing in our faith, but we also recognize the importance and the, and the direction that God gave us is to share that information. As believers, we are to live out our faith by the promises of God. When we face decisions, we need to account for God's principles, not just immediate gratification. We are to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and focus on the hope of our salvation, trusting God's promise of eternity. Titus 2, 
11 through 13 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It's here freely for everyone. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know Christ and wants to turn over their life to Christ, I will tell you that Christ died on the cross for you. We can't be so good. There's nothing good that we can do. We're sinners. And so he died for every one of us. The next time, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God and the Savior, Christ Jesus. The next time you face a difficult decision that involves a major commitment of your time, talents, and money, consider how that will affect your soul, your family, your friends, and those closest to you. When we decide to follow Christ with our public confession and baptism, it's a statement into the world that my priorities are different. My values are different. My lifestyle is different. Not perfect, because we will never be perfect, but based on God's grace. I love this quote by John Stott. What dominated Christ's mind was not the living of his life, but the giving of his life. The whole Bible focuses and is focused toward the cross. The Old Testament points to Jesus coming and what he has done for us. This morning, we come to God's home, to God's house, to worship him and to praise him, but also to serve him. He gave his life for each and every one of us. So I give you the message this morning that the cross is enough. It's enough to overcome anything that we will endure in life. It's, it can endure, overcome anything that we've done in life. And so this morning, I'd like to end with that quote again. What dominated Christ's mind was not the living of his life, but the giving of his life. In a few minutes, I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to have a song. This morning, I would like to, after the end of that song, that would be the communion meditation is what we ended with today, the reminder that Christ died on the cross and his whole focus of living today, his whole focus of coming to this earth was pointing to the cross so that you can have the gift of eternal life.